join me in our responsive welcome. No matter who you are or where you are in life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, or Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. We've been making our way through some stories in the Gospel of John. And we pick up our story this morning just after a point where escalations got to some people picking up stones and wanting to throw them at Jesus. So it's getting kind of tense. And no one seemed to have the capacity to take a breath and slow down or even back away. The story says that Jesus hid and then left the temple. And folks who study escalating circumstances note that our brains don't like to slow down. When things start getting faster and faster and faster, our brains actually are more engaged. The brain's default is fast. Slowing down requires some practice. And we were having a little bit of fun last night. I should clarify, I was having a little bit of fun last night testing some things out on Beth. <laughs> so when I say two plus two equals, of course four came instantly to your mind, right? Unless math is brand new to you, which it is for some of our youngest people. But if I were to say 469 times seven, there's no immediate answer. I mean, you'll get there, and if you're still trying to calculate it, let yourself go, let it go, let it go. <laughs> and put away your phones. But you see the difference. Now, if I say, say the word joke five times fast. Now say folk five times fast. And the white part of an egg is a, it is not a yolk. I thought that was the funnest part. <laughs> you see how your brain did that? Yeah. And I also have, I have a cartoon to sort of illustrate what our brain does too. Our fast thinking, let's, we're going to give Wayne a moment to put it up. Um, our fast thinking goes to shovel the stairs. We got to get up. But the slow brain says, if you shovel the ramp, we can all get in, right? The person who's shoveling says, all these other kids are waiting to use the stairs. When I get through shoveling them, then I'll clear the ramp for you. Anybody could walk on the ramp or be wheeled on the ramp. Our automatic thought, though, is if our legs are functioning well, stairs. Stairs are for me. Do you see the difference? 
how the quick brain goes to shovel the stairs and the slower processing says, wait a minute, do the ramp first. The fast brain is going to want to see today's story as a miracle. You're going to want to focus on someone who was blind that can now see. The slow brain is what we want to engage. Because the slow brain will see this as a sign. The Gospel of John is all about signs, not miracles. As pointing to the identity of Jesus and the workings of God. Our aim today is to put down judgment. We've been putting down things and picking them up for Lent. So we're putting down judgment and we're going to try to pick up wisdom and insight. And usually wisdom and insight is about slow brain processing. And we're going to try to pay particular attention to the judgments and false conclusions of fast brain processing. And given that it's March Madness, we're going to take this story like it's the last two minutes of a basketball game. It's going to feel like it goes on and on and on. We're going to take lots of timeouts. And in the end, the highly favored top seed is losing, probably to a New Jersey team. I know that was obnoxious. <laughs> that was obnoxious, I know. But hey, that doesn't happen very often. So here's our reading, starting with chapter 9. And I'm using the message version because I really like this translation, and I think you'll understand why after you start hearing it. So, walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, causing him to be born blind? You heard that judgment, right? That physical symptoms or people living with disabilities is the result of sin. Eh, that's a foul. Jesus said, and this is why I like this translation, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. That's judgment too, looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. We need to be about the work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. When night falls, the workday is over. For as long as I am in the world, there is plenty of light. I am the world's light. Jesus said this and then spit in the dust, and spit was a, a valid medical treatment in ancient worlds and worked for me when I was a kid too, made clay paste with the saliva, rubbed the paste on the blind man's eyes and said, go wash at the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And the man went and washed and saw. Soon the town was buzzing. Now you can imagine some time had to pass, right? He had to get there. And then word had to sort of start to spread that he could see. And soon the town was buzzing. His relatives and those who year after year had seen him as a blind man begging were saying, why, isn't this the man we knew who sat here and begged? 
And let me say that in the ancient world, people who had physical symptoms or were living with disabilities were excluded from social networks. Seems that still happens sometimes. And begging was actually allowed because it provided a socially approved good because those of means were supposed to give alms to the poor, right? Now, again, eh, I mean, really, do you hear? So you push someone to the side, force them to beg, and then those who get to give are doing something good. That seems deeply flawed to me. I wish it wasn't still happening. So back to the story. Isn't this the man we knew who sat here and begged? Others said, it, it's him all right. But others objected, it's not the same man at all. It just looks like him. How close have you gotten in all these years to really take a look? Finally, the man said, it's me, the very one. They said, how did your eyes get opened? And he said, a man named Jesus made a paste and rubbed it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. I did what he said. When I washed, I saw. So where is he? Where is Jesus? I don't know. They marched the man to the Pharisees. Like, come with us. Like, we own you. We demand that you come with us to the Pharisees who were the keepers of the law. This day when Jesus made the paste and healed his blindness was the Sabbath. The Pharisees grilled him again on how he had come to see. He said, he put clay paste on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, obviously this man can't be from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath, this man being Jesus. Buzzer sound in your head. Let's let's take a moment to think about why this is such a problem. Working on the Sabbath, healing on the Sabbath, is actually shocking and dangerous to established religious order. Is it possible that God is not following the rules? And if God does not follow the rules, then what? There was comfort in the rules and predictability in the rules. This is somehow unpredictable. God can't possibly be behind something that's unpredictable. You want to make God laugh? (laughs) So backtracking just one second, some of the Pharisees said, obviously this man can't be from God, he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others countered, how can a bad man do miraculous God-revealing things like this? There was a split in their ranks. 
They came back to the blind man. You're the expert. He opened your eyes. What do you say about him? Do you notice now, and and this has been building, but the man who was cast out is now really at the center. And now he's being asked to explain something to them and make a statement, which is really a setup to make a public statement. But the man answers and said, he's a prophet. And there were some, after hearing this, who didn't believe the man was blind to begin with. Still can't grasp this. So they called the parents of the man, now bright-eyed with sight, the man who could now see, and they asked them. So you imagine now they have to go get the parents. Bring the parents in. And they say to the parents, is this your son, the one you say was born blind? So how is it that he now sees? And his parents said, we know he is our son, and we know he was born blind, but we don't know how he came to see. Having a clue about who opened his eyes. Why don't you ask him? He's a grown man and can speak for himself. Now remember the setup that I mentioned? His parents were talking like this because they were intimidated by the religious leaders who had already decided that anyone who took a stand that this was the Messiah would be kicked out of the meeting place. Again, pushed out. That's why his parents said, ask him. He's a grown man. So they called the man back. And they said, give credit to God. We know this man, Jesus, is an imposter. They are certain now that this man is an imposter. Has to be. And he replied, I know nothing about that one way or another. I don't know your rules. But I know one thing for sure. I was blind, and now I see. And they said, can you believe this? They said, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I mean, by this point, everybody knows the answer, right? Is there a reason they cannot hear him? They can't hear it. I've told you over and over, and you haven't listened. Why do you want to hear it again? This is a bit of a dig here. Are you so eager to become his disciples? Ooh, yeah, see? That's a different kind of foul, isn't it? And with that, they jumped all over him. You might be a disciple of that man, but we're disciples of Moses. We know for sure that God spoke through Moses, but we have no idea where this man even comes from. They were unable to see God at work in someone else. And the man who could now see replied, this is amazing. You claim to know nothing about him, but the fact is he opened my eyes. It is well known that God isn't at the beck and call of sinners but listens carefully to anyone who lives in reverence and does his will. That someone opened the eyes of a man born blind has never been heard of, ever. If this man didn't come from God, 
he wouldn't be able to do anything. That's quite a statement of faith, isn't it? That would get you confirmed in a church like this. (laughs) And listen to this. Here's how they responded. You're nothing but dirt. How dare you take that tone with us? And there it is. There it is, the arrogance of their superiority. How dare you take that tone with us? Then they threw him out in the street. We're the teachers, not you. We're the authority, not you. The man who had the first-hand experience thrown out because it didn't match. And Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and went and found him. And he asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man said, point him out to me, sir, so that I can believe in him. This was a formal title. He might not have been familiar with that title. And Jesus said, you're looking right at him. Don't you recognize my voice? Master, I believe, the man said. And he worshiped him. Jesus then said, I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day, making all the distinctions clear, so that those who have never seen will see, and those who have made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. Mm. Some Pharisees overheard this and said, does that mean you're calling us blind? I'd say it is, but Jesus answered differently. Jesus said, if you were really blind, you would be blameless. But since you claim to see everything so well, you're accountable for every fault and failure. Oof. You hear in this story so many things. But at the foundation is a judgment that's based on a worldview of inclusion and exclusion, superiority and inferiority. And the only way to act and live outside of that deeply flawed worldview is through intention and practice. We still carry it today. I think we're doing a better job with young people, but that wasn't the case in my generation. We have to make time to practice new strategies, to interrupt automatic associations that link a negative judgment to a behavior or thought That is different. The sin here is the social dislocation and disruption and disordering. Said another way, the sin is a flawed worldview where inclusion and exclusion, superiority and inferiority are clearly defined 
to benefit some and burden others. Period. That's what sin is. Sin is relational. And when those relationships are breached, when some are lifted at the putting down of others, there's a breach. A flawed worldview, I know your mind can go this way, a flawed worldview allows for enslavement. It allows for segregation. It allows for the labeling of unnatural with brutal enforcement. It takes a lot of power to enforce that worldview. And it's been done for centuries. I'm sure you can see how dangerous and deeply harmful the sin of social dislocation has been and still is. Seems like there's always someone to blame. Always someone to cast out. Always someone to be afraid of. And what may not be as obvious is the subtle ways a flawed worldview takes up space in our brain's fast processing. And this happens as, as bias, really, that jumps to conclusions or makes rash judgments or assumptions. Like that Skittles could be a gun or that a hoodie somehow is hiding something or someone dangerous. These rash judgments. And in the spirit of prayer, I mean, take a breath, everybody. I hear, I feel you all up here, so come on back down. The pew can hold you all. In the spirit of prayer, we're going to take a few minutes to practice interrupting bias and seeing what judgments or assumptions may be at work in our fast brains. It's kind of like that little fun thing we were doing last night. Fun for me. (laughs) But before we begin, I want to acknowledge that bias doesn't mean we're bad people. It means we're human. It means we live in this world. And as we go through this exercise, if there are surprises, we can consider them gifts of the Spirit as an insight into the worldview that may need some adjusting. That's it. Just like when people um, cry in church, we consider that a gift. It waters the flowers of your soul, right? Tears are okay. Surprises are okay. It's the spirit at work. So we're going to begin, we're going to begin this prayer time by singing. Um, so Sam and, and Robert, let us know what we're going to sing. Let us rise in spirits and sing number 61 in the sing hymnal, Call to Prayer. <laughs> 